bit of transition to our sermon today. If we've been through the book of Ephesians, we weren't here last week. If you remember, we had the winter storm and uh, we had to pause and take a week off. But we want to dive back in as we're in chapter 5 of Ephesians. And the verses we're going to look at today are 22 to 33. Who remembers the theme of our study through the book of Ephesians? Who wants to say that aloud? There we go. Very robotic of you guys. Good job. Lifestyles of the rich and godly. Yes, lifestyles of the rich and godly is our theme for the book of Ephesians. We have today's lesson and then chapter 6, and then we're done with Ephesians. Uh, Lord willing, we're planning to finish Ephesians before the end of the year, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, the title of our lesson today is going to be called Marriage, the Shadow, and the Substance. I have a question for you, though. If you're married, did you discover any surprising challenges and or benefits from being married? We have a new married couple in the back there, so we'll see if you guys have discovered any of these yet. I have a list, a list of surprising challenges of being married and a list of surprising benefits of being married, so humor me. I have permission, by the way, to share these, even though Janine is sick today, conveniently. Uh, (laughs) Just teasing. Number one surprising challenge of being married, when you choose a side of the bed, you're stuck there forever. I didn't know that. That's a surprising challenge. Uh, Number two. Burping in your own bedroom is now considered rude, right? That's her space too, so that's now a rude thing. That's a surprising challenge. Number three, you automatically double the amount of crazy people in your family. Right? I had this much and now I have this much. Double, double crazy people. Number four, <laughs> this is really specific, but there's now one person in the universe that is aware of your secret that you use a loofah to bathe with. I planned on taking that secret to the grave, and now Janine knows, and now you all know. So... Surprising challenge of being married. You don't have any secrets. Number five, surprising challenge is watching sports is now a special reward that you win, not the default. I have to earn points to get that. I'm just teasing. (laughs) Number six, surprising challenge is you're now legally required to consider soup a meal. I didn't know soup was a meal. I thought it was an add-on. And she told me, no, it's a meal. That's all we're having tonight. It's like, okay. (laughs) Soup is now a meal. Number seven surprising challenge is figuring out what to eat for dinner is harder than calculus. Right? For the rest of your life, you have to figure out what to eat. That's that's brutal. I didn't know it was going to be that hard, but it is. It's harder than calculus. How about this one? Deciding what she wants from the drive-thru menu requires that you turn your car engine off. (laughs) Sorry, Janine, but it's true. Surprising challenge number nine is you'll memorize all the lines from Pride and Prejudice without even trying. You want to test me? And are you too proud, Mr. Darcy? And would you consider pride a fault or a virtue? That I cannot say. Because we are trying our hardest to find a fault with you. Maybe it's that I find it hard to forgive the follies and vices of others or their offenses against me. My good opinion once lost is lost forever. Yes, yes. It goes two ways, though. She knows all the lines to Paul Blart Mall Cop, so. That's a surprising challenge. Surprising challenge number 10 is love means always having to say you're sorry. See, because I thought it was never having to say you're sorry, but it's actually always. But there are surprising benefits of being married. Here's a list of 10 benefits of being married. Number one is I don't have to ask her out anymore. Date nights are assumed. No rejections. That's awesome. Yay. Date nights are assumed. Number two, surprising benefit of being married. Bringing home ice cream is the same as bringing home jewelry. 
<clears throat> I score with ice cream now. That's the great thing. It's the same thing as jewelry. <clears throat> the wonderful surprising benefit number three. <clears throat> Is there someone who loves you in spite of your morning breath? <laughs> yes, yes, we love wives. Number four is you can use your spouse as an excuse to get out of things you don't want to do just by saying, my wife is really tired. And the best thing is you're not lying. She really is. Uh, number five surprising benefit is when someone hurts you, she's ready and willing to fight them to the death if need be. <clears throat> Thank you for wives. Number six surprising benefit is you can literally blame anything on the kids and have someone always agree with you, right? Why did I miss that payment, stinking kids? And she goes, yes, stinking kids, and we high-five. <laughs> Just teasing. Uh, number seven, she has learned how to act interested in your sports teams. You know, when I talk about sports, she acts interested and maybe even learns a few things. Like, weren't they really bad in the fourth quarter? It's like, yes, they were really bad in the fourth quarter. So she acts interested. Number, uh, number eight, <laughs> she's surprisingly talented at impersonating your mother. Surprise. <laughs> Surprising benefit. Wow, she's really good at my mom. <laughs> Impersonating her. Number nine is watching the kids so she can take a shower is considered being romantic. That's a surprising benefit. That's all it takes to be romantic. Number 10 is that even though she loves onions, she sacrifices the eating of onions just to shut you up about how much you hate onions. There are surprising benefits of being married. There are surprising challenges of being married. Our topic today is marriage. I want you to Take your Bibles and follow me to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. And I want you to listen to the Word of God. Verse 22 says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Today's title is Marriage, the Shadow, and the Substance. We have three goals that, Lord willing, we hope to get to. Goal number one is this, to properly understand, to properly value, and to properly obey the earthly marriage union and covenant. That's goal number one. Goal number two is to see how the roles of husband and wife and the marriage itself represents something much greater. And goal number three is to properly understand, value, and invest in the heavenly marriage, union, and covenant. Those are our three goals we hope to get to today. I want to say, by, say this at the beginning, that this is a difficult text to preach. Uh, looking forward into Ephesians, I knew this was going to be a tricky one. Uh, I know we live in a sin-cursed world. I know many of us have been hurt in marriage. I know many of us have messed up in marriage. And I want to say that the gospel offers us forgiveness, doesn't it? It offers us healing, and that's a good thing. 
I don't want anyone shamed by what we're saying today, but I do want us to understand how God looks at marriage, what God thinks about marriage, and how we are supposed to see marriage through God's lenses. So I ask that you pray for me even today as we go through this, because this is a little bit of a challenging one, but it's good for us. And we're going to look at this right now. As Paul continues his exhortation for us to imitate our God, because that's how he started chapter 5. He says, imitate God and walk in love. He's now going to turn our attention to the best example and best parallel we have of God's relationship with his church. And that best parallel and best example is the marriage covenant. The marriage covenant. See, God has a covenant relationship with his people. And if you look up the word covenant, the word covenant means a relationship of commitment. See, God has committed himself to us through Jesus, and he has also asked and demanded our commitment to him as well. And that's what we call a covenant. So God has this covenant relationship with his people, and he instituted something on earth to represent that covenant relationship and its marriage. That's why marriage was created, to represent his covenant love to his people. And so Paul is going to do two very important things with one message, okay? Two-pronged, two things with one message. The first thing he's going to do is encourage us to have marriages that love and honor the Lord as well as each other. That's the first thing he's going to do. And the second thing he's going to do is to explain to us why marriage is primarily supposed to be kept pure and holy because it represents something much more profound. So two things he's going to do with the same message. Teach us how to do marriage, and at the same time teach us what marriage means. So we're going to learn both of those things today, Lord willing. There is a marriage shadow, and it represents the marriage substance in heaven. Okay, you guys know what a shadow is. I don't have to explain a shadow to you. When you go out in the sun, you have a shadow of your body, right? A shadow is a likeness, but it's not the reality, correct? Yes, everybody agree? The shadow is a likeness, but it's not the reality. We have a marriage shadow on earth, and it represents the marriage reality in heaven. Okay, T Scripture teaches us this. That is not a, my opinion. That is what Scripture says. And we're going to look at this in a twofold thing today. We're going to look at marriage the shadow, and we're going to look at marriage the substance. And we're going to start with marriage the shadow because that's what Paul does. And when I say marriage the shadow, what I'm referring to is earthly marriage. Okay? When I say marriage the shadow, I'm talking about marriage on earth. And when I talk about the marriage substance, I'm referring to our union with Jesus in heaven. So Paul, at verse 22 and 23, let's read this again. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. So now, as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives should submit to their husbands in everything. He begins by telling the wives to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. And I know the word submit is a hot-button word in our day and age because oftentimes when we hear the word submit and wives together, we recoil and we begin that we're thinking that wives are somehow being devalued, that women are being devalued. I want us to remember that differing roles does not mean differing value, okay? Differing roles does not mean differing value. If we see roles as less or more significant than others, it's not the fault of God because God never said that. That is something that we've come up with, that different roles means differing value, and God never said that. Men, women, husbands, wives, children, adults, pastors, laymen, masters, servants, black, white, Jew, and Gentile, all have the same value to God. 
They all have the exact same value to God. We are all precious in his sight. Didn't the little children's song teach us that? We are all precious in the sight of God as long as we follow and submit to his son, Jesus. We need to remember that today because what he's going to say is not he's not going to devalue or knock down women at all. He's going to define what their role is, and their role is very significant in God's eyes. So wives are to submit to their husbands. This is the role God has given to wives. It's very specific in marriage. To submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Think about that phrasing. Submit to your husband as to the Lord. So if you were submitting to Jesus, what level of commitment and honor would you give him? He wants you to take that same level and give it to your husband. Think about that, wives. Take the same level of commitment and honor you would give to Jesus and give it to your husband. To submit means to accept or yield to. It can also mean make yourself subject to another person. Submit. Why should wives submit to their husbands? And the answer we find is extremely significant. Because of what the roles of husbands and wives were always supposed to represent. This is our first glimpse into this divine parallel that Paul gives us. Because marriage represents something in heaven. A mystery is revealed here, Paul says. There's a mystery that maybe many of you know already, maybe you don't. Maybe some of you are learning this for the first time, but a mystery is revealed that earthly marriage was created by God to represent a greater marriage, a marriage in heaven. That's why he created earthly marriage. Earthly earthly marriage was not created by man. We did not invent marriage. God invented marriage. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were married because that's what God intended. And that was to represent a greater marriage that we're going to discuss here in a little bit in heaven. So that's really important for us to know. Paul says wives are to submit to their husbands because, again, looking at the parallel, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So what he's saying to us today, this is important for two different marriages. This is important for earthly marriage, and this is important for heavenly marriage. And we will discuss and lay out what heavenly marriage here is in a minute. Wives represent the church in the marriage shadow. Did you know that? Wives represent the church in the marriage shadow. Because there's a marriage shadow, I want to say this one more time, and there's a marriage substance. And the marriage on earth is the shadow of the marriage union we have one day with our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the true Marriage. The marriage on earth is what you think of when you think of marriage, right? As soon as you think of marriage, you think of earthly marriage. But there's a greater, longer-lasting, truer marriage. And that is the union we have with our Lord Jesus Christ by faith. How long will that last? Forever. It starts with your faith in Jesus, and it lasts for all of eternity. And in, in heaven, we are going to be unified, connected in an earth, and excuse me, in a heavenly covenant with our Lord Jesus Christ that will never go away. And earthly marriage, once again, was meant to represent that marriage in heaven. As, as it teaches in scripture, Jesus is our bridegroom. Jesus is our bridegroom and the church is the bride. Okay, we think of bride and bridegroom, or we don't use bridegroom really, we use bride and groom. 
those are roles that we think of when we're preparing for an earthly marriage. Well, those terms actually come from the Bible. <coughs> Bridegroom is the Lord Jesus Christ, and his bride is the church, everybody that makes up the church. Everybody who is in faith in Jesus Christ here at Wyoming Valley Church is a part of that bride, a part of that church, meaning I am, you am. You are, every single person who has faith in Jesus is a part of that church. <clears throat> and so marriage on earth was instituted by God for that very reason. So we could reflect and appreciate our future eternal union with Jesus. And maybe you're nodding your head going, I know, I know this already, but this is crucial. This is the most important thing Paul is saying in this text, that earthly marriage represents heavenly marriage. And most people miss that. There are most people in this world who have no idea that's what marriage means. Worldly people get married, right? Sinners get married all the time. Those marriages often don't last. But marriage happens on earth all the time, and people have no idea that it was authored by God and that it was created for the very purpose of representing our marriage union with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so ideally, ideally, I'm going to say that, which is very rare, but ideally, earthly marriage is supposed to help us value our eternal marriage with the Lord. I wish I would have known that growing up. That would have been important to know, looking forward to marriage for that reason. But this is what the scripture teaches us. So this marriage shadow, earthly marriage, must remain pure and holy as God has designed it. Because otherwise, the perversion of the marriage shadow, the perversion of the marriage on earth, will also cause us to pervert the way we see marriage substance in heaven. Which would be tragic. Which would be very dishonoring to the Lord. If we pervert the idea, the marriage union we have with Jesus Christ, by perverting the shadow, the marriage on earth, that's dishonoring to the Lord. That's tragic. And that's what we don't want to have happen. And so that's why we teach this today. Because if we see the shadow wrong, I'm going to use a very silly analogy here, very, very silly. If we see the shadow wrong, we will also see the reality wrong. Imagine if you went out with me in a sunny day and saw my shadow, okay? And for some reason, when you looked at my shadow, my shadow had a big old afro. <laughs> Told you it was silly. Sometimes I get silly. You might assume by looking at the shadow that I had a big old afro on my head. And then you look at my head, and not only do I not have an afro, I have an ofro. I am froless. The shadow would depict the reality wrong, right? So the shadow, the shadows don't do that, obviously. Shadows depict exactly what the body is, because it's a likeness of the body. And that's what the shadow, the earthly marriage, was supposed to be, is represent the eternal heavenly marriage. If we can understand this parallel, and it's important that we understand this parallel for what Paul is about to say, we can return now to the command to wives to submit to their husbands. Because now it means two different things. Now it means how to do marriage properly on the earth, and it means how to represent heavenly marriage. Do you see that? There's two different things these exhortations are going to teach us today. Wives are to submit to their husbands and I'm going to say this confidently, meaning myself included, not because husbands always deserve the submission. Because often we do not. But once again, because of what the marriage shadow represents, that is why wives are to submit to their husbands. See, the wife has the responsibility to represent the church in the marriage shadow. And the husband that we're going to look at here in a minute has a really hard task. The husband has to represent the Lord Jesus Christ in the marriage shadow. So the wife represents the church. The husband represents the Lord Jesus himself 
There's a union, right? You can see the union. You can see the covenant between the church and Jesus Christ being represented in earthly marriage. And in order for husbands to properly represent Jesus, I'm going to say this too confidently, they need their wives to respect them. They need their wives to honor them. They need their wives to submit to them. So their job to represent Jesus can be easier and more joyful. Husbands need their wives. Do you know that's the exact reason Eve was created? Because Adam needed her. Adam needed Eve's help. And so Eve was created to help Adam because he needed it. And the husbands have a huge, huge task to represent Jesus. It's a massive task, and we're going to look at that here in a little bit. So Paul says that just as Jesus is the head of the church, and no one's disputing that, right? Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head of Wyoming Valley Church. He's the head of the general corporate church. Jesus is the head, and no one disputes that. He makes the rules. He says how to do this thing. Just as he is head of the church, husbands are head of their wives. Again, this is not speaking of the value of husbands over wives, but the designed role God has given each one of us. God has designed it that the man, the husband, is the head of the family unit. God constructed marriage the way he saw fit, and since the husband is to lead the wife and the family, he needs greater amounts of wisdom and discernment in order to do that. Do you remember what it says in Ephesians 4, 7? If you have your Bibles, take your eyes back there. When we were talking about gifts that God gave the church, some are people who are laymen and serve behind the scenes. Some are public gifts like pastors and leaders. Look what it says in Ephesians 4, 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Don't leaders need more wisdom, more grace to do the harder job? Isn't that true? God grants greater amounts of wisdom, greater amounts of grace to those who are called to the greater responsibility. So husbands, and I'll probably say it this way, God bestows greater amounts of wisdom and grace and discernment to husbands who want to lead their families God's way. I don't think necessarily every single husband is given this special wisdom and grace, but those who want to lead their families God's way God bestows what is needed on them to lead their family. And as we'll learn here soon, this isn't something wives should be bitter at. Because the reason husbands were given these special abilities was for the sake of leading the wife and the family. Can you see that? Husbands were given these gifts to lead their families well. And the husband and the wife, as we're going to learn also here in a minute, are one unit. They're one team. Whatever good comes to the husband also comes to the wife. Isn't that true? Whatever good comes to you, Lou, comes to Tracy. That's how marriage works. So in fact, you could say that the wisdom God gives husband is so that the wife can be blessed by it. You see, it's, it's a gift of God. It's a gift from God to the wives from their husbands. This wisdom, this leadership ability, this discernment God bestows upon husbands is also a gift for wives. And marriage, we have to remember this, this is really important. Marriage belongs to God because he created it. Marriage belongs to God. We should not seek to recreate marriage. We should not seek to reinvent marriage. We should not seek to change the rules about marriage. This is why we have the mess we do today, because we have tried to do that. 
We have tried to change the rules about marriage. Wives want to be husbands. Men want to marry men. And suddenly we have a mess on our hands because God created it one way. We changed the rules and now we have what we have. God was never intended for that to happen. God is the author of marriage. And God created the way he knew it would work properly. And if we don't do it according to God's rules, we mess it up. Isn't that true about everything? If we take something God has designed and we don't listen to his rules and we do it our own way, don't we mess it up 100% of the time? So it is with marriage. So we should understand and appreciate the specific roles God has given to both husbands and wives and then honor the Lord by embracing those roles because those roles were meant to be embraced. For husbands to embrace their roles, for wives to embrace their roles and to not mix them up to not neglect those roles. So Paul says that wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. That's a big word, isn't it? Wow, in everything. Wives are to submit to their husbands because the husband is the head of the wife and has been given greater measures of wisdom, greater measures of discernment in order to lead the family unit. And by not submitting to their husbands, you know what wives do? They weaken their husbands. They weaken the family structure and they allow the devil to gain a foothold. Because wives were there to support, to strengthen their husbands. If they don't, the husband is naturally weakened by that. And his job becomes much, much harder. If wives don't line up behind their husbands, they weaken their husband, which weakens the family unit. But when wives submit, they strengthen the family unit. They strengthen the entire family unit by their submission to their husband. So shouldn't wives want the strength and success of their marriage? By embracing their role to submit to their husbands, wives give the marriage the best chance to succeed and to glorify God. But also because of what marriage represents, we have to remember that. This is going to carry this, we're going to carry this through this entire lesson today. Marriage represents a greater relationship in heaven. So you're helping your family on earth by submitting, but you're also representing the church because that's what the church is supposed to do to Jesus. Submit in everything. Isn't the church supposed to submit in everything to the Lord? Do we choose which commandments to listen to and which not to? No, we submit to Jesus in everything. At least we're supposed to. That's what the Bible teaches us. Whatever Jesus says is the law. We follow him. We we abide by his teachings. We follow and go right behind him. So the church is to submit to Jesus in everything. Jesus is the Lord, and it is his will that we seek to do because his will came from heaven. It is God's will. And our job as Christians is to listen to, to follow to, excuse me, to follow and to obey Jesus Christ. Say, yes, sir. Yes, sir, Jesus. You are my Lord. You are my master. I will do whatever you say. That is my job as pastor. I don't pastor this church the way I want to. I pastor this church the way Jesus wants me to because he is my master. And since wives represent the church, they are to do the very same toward their husbands. Hopefully you're seeing the connection. Wives are to listen to their husbands. Wives are to follow their husbands' lead. And wives are to obey their husbands as if it was coming from Jesus himself. Wow. Is that really what we have in this culture with marriage? We don't, unfortunately. But this is how marriage was supposed to look, according to God's instructions. And not only to listen to, not only to follow, not only to obey their husband, but even take it to another level, to do it with cheerfulness. 
to do it with humility, to do it with fidelity. Why? Because that's what the church is supposed to do with Jesus. Not just duty-filled, begrudgingly, okay, Lord, I'll do this even though I don't want to. No. It is a privilege to serve our Lord, is it not? Didn't we just celebrate communion for all that he's done for us? Isn't it a privilege to serve the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what it should be for wives with their husbands. Ideally, a privilege to serve their husbands. We're going to get to the husbands here in a minute. So wives, we'll get you off the hook here in a minute. But So not just to submit, <clears throat> but to embrace your role as the wife because of the privilege to honor your Lord. What if we did that? What if the wives embraced their role to submit to their husbands, not primarily for the husband's sake, but for the Lord's sake, because he is worthy of that, and he has instituted it this way. But maybe you're asking, perhaps you're asking this question today, maybe you're thinking about this. Isn't asking wives to submit to their husbands in everything present us with a potentially big problem? I mean, even good husbands aren't as loving as holy or as good as Jesus is, let alone bad husbands, right? <clears throat> so if we ask wives to submit to their husbands in everything, isn't it possible that wives will submit to things that aren't godly? Will submit to things that can potentially harm them and their family? And the answer is yes, that is possible. It is possible. I wish we had the time to look at some of these special cases where potentially submission shouldn't happen. But we don't have the time to look at all of those today. But I will say it is possible for those cases to arise. But we must handle these potentially special cases with great care and great prayer so not to, to displease the Lord. Why? Because he told us wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Almost 100% of the time, wives are to submit to their husbands and trust the details, trust the fallout to the Lord. And we have an example of that in Scripture. Because God has promised, listen wives, God has promised to protect us and never let harm befall us if we are striving to do His will, correct? If you're striving to do God's will in marriage, He will protect you. He will keep you from harm, from disaster. God is watching out for your marriage more than you are. And I can say that, and that's a bold statement to make, but I want you to think about a spiritual example we have. Remember Sarah. If you have your Bibles, flip over to 1 Peter 3. This is our one flip today, 1 Peter 3, verses 5 and 6. I want us to remember Sarah. Sarah was Abraham's wife. Abraham was a godly man. Abraham was a godly man, and Sarah was definitely a godly wife and woman. And I want you to listen to what it says about Sarah here, because it honors Sarah. It honors Sarah in 1 Peter 3. It honors Sarah in the faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11. Why? Because listen to what it says about Sarah. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Wow, Sarah is quite a special case, is she not? She submitted to her husband, calling him Lord. Now, it never commanded us to call her husband's Lord, okay? And this is lowercase Lord. This isn't Lord like Jesus Lord. This is Lord meaning master. Sarah did that on her own accord, but she did so because she embraced her role to submit to her husband. And twice that we know of, 
Abraham asked Sarah to do something that was wrong on its own, to lie, to tell categories of people that she was Abraham's sister and not her wife, not his wife. Because Abraham was thinking, well, my wife is a beautiful woman. If they find out that I have such a beautiful wife, they might kill me, take my wife as their own, and I'll be dead. So Abraham came up with this wonderful plan. What a godly guy. Which he really was. But this is a bad, this is a bad example. Abraham said, Sarah, I want you to say you're my sister. Now, they still might take you as their wife, but they won't kill me. And you know what Sarah said twice? Okay. Okay, I will. She submitted to Abraham even then. And did disaster come to Sarah? No, it did not. Did disaster come to Abraham? No, it did not. God protected, maybe even sustained Abraham because of Sarah's willingness to submit to Abraham. And God, Sarah trusted God, and she knew that Abraham was the head of their marriage. So she submitted to Abraham's wishes, even though she most likely knew, I think she most likely knew, that Abraham's demand came from wrong motives, from selfish motives. She even called him Lord. And she said to Abraham, yes, I will. Yes, I'll do whatever you ask me to do because of my role, because of what it represents, because of who I'm really trying to please, my God. Sarah submitted to Abraham's wishes, and God protected Sarah and let no harm come her way because obedience to the Lord will never work out for our disaster only for our benefit. Amen? Is it possible for special cases to exist in which wives should not submit to their husbands? Yes, it is possible. It is possible. But as a general and overarching rule, wives are to submit to their husbands in everything because it's the will of the Lord and because it represents the church's relationship to the Lord. The church doesn't pick and choose what commandments to obey. Neither should wives. Wives are to submit to Christ in everything. Do you remember another sticky situation where God asked someone to obey? Let's look at Abraham from another angle. God's Abraham was a godly guy. And one time, God said to Abraham, I want you to take your son and I want you to sacrifice him unto me. What did Abraham say? I can't. That's murder. Can't do it, God. Not going to do it. Uh, I can't because you promised all of the blessings and promises through Isaac. So, no, can't do it. What did Abraham do when God said, sacrifice your son? He said, I will. Okay. And he took his son up to the altar to the point that he had the knife raised in his hand, ready to drop it on his son. And the angel of the Lord had to come and stop him from doing it. Because he was not supposed to kill his son. What he was supposed to do was obey God and trust the details to God. Isaac didn't die. Disaster didn't come. God kept his promises. And Abraham proved his love and devotion to the Lord. So the wives are supposed to submit to their husbands because they represent the church. That's big and that's hard and I know it. And that might not be pleasing to hear. I understand that. I sympathize. And it's interesting the wives come first. You're going, oh man, why would the wives come first? If the husbands are the head, get them first. But now we turn our attention to the husbands. Okay, we'll take the wives off the hook for a moment and we'll put the husbands on the hook. The husbands actually have a bigger text, if you'll notice. Now we turn our attention to the husbands. Because husbands are supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church. You thought wives had a big role. Wives are to love their wives, excuse me, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So even though husbands are just as valuable as wives, I'll say it again, not more and not less. We can confidently say that husbands have the harder of two roles. 
They need a greater measure of grace in order to do their role. Wives are to represent the church in the marriage shadow, and husbands are to represent the Lord Jesus Christ in the marriage shadow. The bar could not be higher. Which means husbands have the role to represent Jesus in the marriage shadow and love their wives at all times, just like Jesus loves his church at all times. That's what husbands are supposed to do for their wives. Love their wives at all times, like Jesus loves his church at all times. Did husbands know that going into marriage? Did you consider that going into marriage, that you're going to have to love your wife at all times, like Jesus loves the church at all times? Is that a big calling? That is a big, big calling. Husbands are not only not to abuse their power and headship over their wives, but to represent Jesus in the marriage shadow and, so, and love their wives at all times. Anyone, anytime someone has to represent Jesus, that bar could not be higher. That demand could not be greater. Dan Close, uh, I have seen the videos. I was not here for this, but you played Jesus in a play, correct? At least twice? More than yeah. twice? A few times? Okay. I'm guessing that in a play, if you're going to represent Jesus and depict Jesus, that's a big role, right? But we're not talking about a play here. We're talking about real life. Husbands should not undertake this lightly. This is a very big role to represent Jesus in the marriage shadow. I'm going to take, I'll take a look at now what the husband's role is to love his wife as Jesus loves the church according to uh, Paul's divine counsel here. See, when done properly, not necessarily perfectly, there is grace, there is forgiveness, but when done properly, the husband's Christ-like love for his wife, listen to what Paul says, might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now, is he talking about the church or is he talking about wives? I'd say both. Both. Husbands can help sanctify their wives by the washing of water with the word. And Christ definitely sanctifies his church by the washing of water with the word. When the husband loves his wife the way Christ expects him to, something amazing happens. He can actually beautify his wife inwardly, beyond what she already is. When we love our wives, we encourage their submission and devotion to Jesus. I'll say it again. When we love our wives, we encourage their submission and devotion to Jesus, a.k.a. their sanctification. Husbands help their wives become mature spiritually by loving them. See, Christ's love for us is a sanctifying love. Christ's faithful and sacrificial love for the church, according to the truth of God's word, which he calls the washing of water with the word, is what allows us to be mature and become inwardly beautiful and holy. How do we become that way? Because Jesus instructs us the way to go. Isn't it true that every single person in heaven will owe all of our spiritual beauty to Jesus? Isn't that true? That every single Christian who gets to heaven will owe all of their beauty, all of their holiness to Christ's faithful and sacrificial love. Isn't that true? Will we pat ourselves on the back? No, we will cast our crowns to the Lord Jesus Christ for his love towards us because his love is what sanctifies me and his love is what sanctifies you. Do you see the parallel? The truth of Scripture is the tool that Jesus uses to love his church the right way. And it's the exact same way 
Husbands are to love their wives according to the truth of Scripture. You don't lead your marriage the way you think is best. You find out from God what is best. That's how I lead this church. I don't do this any way I think is best just to gain numbers and gain popularity. No, I do this according to God's word, and so does Pastor Mel. Because we have a pastor that is above us, and that is Jesus. And husbands have a husband who is above them, and that's Jesus. So the way Paul is about to speak in verses 26 to 30 is the way Christ's love sanctifies his church so that we might be prepared to meet Jesus at the true marriage ceremony in heaven. I want you to listen to verses 26 to 30 once again. Listen to what it says. That he, Jesus, might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So what is verses 26 to 30 talking about? Is it talking about Jesus and the church, or is it talking about husbands and their wives? Both. As Jesus sanctifies his church, by the love that he has for them. So husbands sanctify their wives by the love they have for them. This is a unique, very profound parallel and mystery that's being revealed here. So right now, the church, we're going to use the word betrothed. Maybe you've heard that word before. The church is betrothed to Jesus. We would use the word engagement, okay? In our culture, we don't use the word betrothed. We use engagement. And you know what you do if you want to break up an engagement? You just say, it's over. I'm done. But in the, old, in, the, in the Bible days, excuse me, in the days of Mary and Joseph, they were betrothed, if you remember. Before they were married, they were betrothed. And once Joseph heard, out that, heard that his wife was pregnant and thought she was unfaithful to him, which she wasn't, he decided to divorce her quietly because betrothal was greater than engagement. Betrothal was a committed union that hadn't quite reached its culmination in marriage ceremony yet, okay? So in order to break up a betrothal, you had to get a divorce certificate. You couldn't just say, I'm done, I want out of this. You actually had to go through the legal process of getting a divorce. And I'm going to say, according to Scripture, I believe the church is now betrothed to Jesus. Okay, so we are now committed to one another. We are committed. He is committed to us. We are committed to him. But the marriage ceremony has not taken place yet, and it won't until we get to heaven following Judgment Day. That is when the true marriage ceremony will take place. So is Jesus committed to us? Yes, he is. Is he going to break that commitment? No, he's not. We just sang about it. But we are still waiting for the marriage ceremony to happen, and that's going to follow Judgment Day in heaven. So right now, we are in the preparation process to meet Jesus as his bride. And I don't want you thinking too literal here, okay? Because marriage on earth represents a greater marriage, okay? It's not talking about man and woman in heaven. It's talking about the church and Jesus being brought together in marriage. And right now, the church is in the preparation process. Remember, like every wife knows what it's like, or every bride knows what it's like to prepare for the marriage ceremony. I don't know how long that takes. You could ask my wife, she would know. But she knows what it's like to prepare herself for the marriage ceremony. It takes a long time, weeks, months. 
And right now, the church is in the preparation process. In fact, our time on earth is for the very reason of preparing ourselves to meet Jesus. That's why we're here. To prepare ourselves to meet Jesus for the coming wedding ceremony. And Jesus knows that his wife has to be holy. He knows that his wife has to be blemish-free in order for God the Father, Jesus' Father, to consider the church a proper bride for his son. We have to be holy and we have to be blemish-free. So you know what Jesus does? He helps prepare us to meet him, to be worthy of him someday. And that's what Jesus is doing right now because Jesus will not have a sin-stained, unholy bride at the wedding ceremony. He will not. He will have a holy bride. He will have a bride who has made herself ready. And the interesting thing about this is that Jesus helps that process. Amen? Jesus helps prepare his church in order to meet him at the wedding ceremony. Isn't this deep? This is deep stuff. God is not going to hand his son an unworthy or unfaithful bride. The church will be and must be holy before Jesus receives her as his eternal bride. So I love this. In order for Jesus to have a bride that he is worthy of, Jesus now loves his church in such a way, according to God's will, that we would have the possibility and every potential to become practically holy and blemish-free. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. In the beginning of chapter 5, if you remember, Paul said, no Christian should have sexual immorality, impurity, or covetousness even be named among them. Why? Because that is not what Jesus is worthy of. Jesus is not worthy to have a bride who is sexually immoral, who is impure, or who is covetous. So you know what Jesus does in order for that to take place? He loves us practically through the truth of Scripture so that one day we don't have those sin stains on our account. We have made ourselves ready to meet Jesus, meaning our holiness is a credit to Jesus' faithful love. Are we still talking about the church in marriage? Excuse me, the, the marriage in heaven or the marriage on earth? We're talking about both. We're trying to link the parallel here for husbands because we become, the church becomes holy through the love of Jesus and we submit to the process. So when husbands seek to love their wives, we must find out exactly how God teaches us to live in Scripture because the husband's role is a very, very big role. To lead his wife and his household according to the will of God in all aspects. Did you hear that, husbands? <laughs> to lead your wife and your household according to the will of God in all aspects. The phrasing Paul used is, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Consider that question. How did Christ love the church? By giving himself entirely for the church's benefit, even to the point of the sacrifice of death. In other words, no amount of love and sacrifice should be withheld from your wife in order that she might become the kind of woman that God expects and desires her to be. See, husbands have the greatest demand to have a role in their wife's sanctification. This is a massive amount of love and sacrifice husbands are called to. 
Husbands, every single one of us, myself included, we have work to do. We have work to do to love our wives as Christ loved the church. This is deep. This is big. Do you see why there seems to be a shortage of godly men in our culture? Do you see why? This bar for husbands is extremely high. Husbands are supposed to line up behind Christ and make sure as much as it depends upon us that our households are also lining up behind Jesus. Not only is this bar very, very high, but the devil knows what kind of profound impact godly husbands can make upon the kingdom of God if they love their wives the way Christ loves his church. So I believe the devil puts most of his energy towards the men to take them down. Because if Satan takes down the men, he also takes down the wives, generally speaking. He also takes down the families. He also takes down the churches. Through one poignant and vicious attack, Satan seeks to take out the head, the husband, and therefore negatively impacting every single person. Do you see why pornography do you see why sexual sins are so rampant amongst men these days? Even amongst some Christian men. Even amongst some Christian pastors and ministers. Do you see why? The devil knows that husbands who love their wives the way God has designed would greatly hurt the devil's kingdom more than anything. So he sends most of his attacks toward the men and the marriages so that he nullifies the impact of a Christ-like love within a marriage. Because why hurt one when you can hurt them all? By targeting one category of people, the men. So wives are to submit to their husbands in everything, and husbands are to, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Do you see the task today? Do you see how difficult and big this is for a pastor to say? This is big. This is deep. But it's a privilege. I hope you understand that. This is a privilege to represent your role, to represent the church, wives, and to represent Jesus' husbands. I want to read you a quote from Matthew Henry that I thought was really deep. I had to think about it a few times, so I'll explain it. He said, The love which God requires from the husband on behalf of his wife will make amends for the subjection which he demands from her to her husband. And the prescribed subjection of the wife will be an abundant return for that love of the husband which God has made her do. In other words, what God requires of the husband is rewarded by the complete loyalty and support from his wife. And what God requires from the wife is rewarded by the total faithfulness and love by her husband. See, ideally, both parties, husbands and wives, win when marriage is done according to God's plan. We both win, ideally. Sadly, oftentimes one or both parties aren't embracing their role within the marriage, and therefore the marriage is weakened, as we mentioned before. But, as we've proved in with Sarah, God can come alongside and give support to the marriage when at least one person is embracing and obeying their role as Christ has commanded. So whether your spouse is not embracing or is embracing their role to God's plan, find strength today, okay? Find strength in the fact that when we do marriage according to God's plan, God's way, he will be glorified. And we will find his strength to succeed. Because Sarah did. And God has promised success to those who do it his way. Isn't that the same application when following Christ? 
Trust and obey and we will succeed. Isn't that true? Trust and obey the Lord and our plans will succeed. So Paul tells husbands to love their wives like they love their own bodies. Because we learn something else incredibly profound. Husbands and wives are one flesh. One flesh. That's why a lot of marriages have unity candles and ropes that are tied together and sand that mixes together. It's representing this fact that wives and husbands come together as one flesh. The Bible teaches us that. Paul says that husbands who love their wives are also loving themselves. Wow. See, God has set up this wonderful system so that when we listen to and obey his will, not only do wives become more beautiful and holy, so do the husbands. So do the husbands. Our wives are a part of us, just like every body part is a part of us, correct? When we take care of our body and our body parts, we're loving ourselves and investing well into a healthy body. When you diet, when you work out, you're loving yourself, you're loving your body. And Paul says that no one hates his own flesh. Why would they? By hating our own bodies, we hate and harm ourselves. I want you to imagine hating your teeth. Neglecting your teeth, eating rock candy and chili dogs and never brushing your teeth and thinking, ah, I don't care about it, it's just my teeth. That's going to impact you. You are going to be the one laying there in the dentist chair. You are going to be the one going under surgery. You're going to be the one having bleeding gums because your teeth are a part of you. I'm sorry, wife, I didn't call you teeth. But husbands and wives are together. We're the same. And he tells us to love your wives like you love your own body. When we love our wives, we care for ourselves. When we hurt our wives, by neglecting to love them, the pain and harm comes directly back to us. We will feel that pain now, and we will definitely feel that pain in eternity if we refuse to love our wives as Christ loved the church. So not only is neglecting to love our wives dishonoring to the Lord, but it's significantly harmful to our very souls. And God has so many of these wonderful systems in place that when we listen to and submit to his will, the blessings pour down on our heads. But when we refuse to or neglect to submit to God's plan, we not only hurt God and others, but we also hurt ourselves. It's friendly fire. When we neglect to love our wives, we neglect to love ourselves. So instead, Paul says that husbands should cherish and nourish their wives because that's what we do with our own bodies. Husbands, our wives, are us. We're one flesh. Why withhold and neglect to love your wife when you're one flesh? That would be silly and stupid. Our wives are so connected to us in God's eyes that when we invest in them through love, a cherishing and nourishing love, we make our own lives better, richer, and healthier. It's eternal investment when we love our wives. It's eternal investment when we love our wives. In verse 31, we discover that this is precisely why it says in Scripture that when a man leaves his father and mother, he is married to a woman and they become one flesh. Impossible to separate because this is the system that God has set up. So we can either listen to and benefit our wives and ourselves, or we could disobey God and hurt both our most precious gift, our wives, and harm ourselves because wives are an extension of our husbands. That was the marriage shadow. We don't have a lot of time left, and we don't have a lot of text left. 
But we need to briefly wrap this up by looking at the marriage substance, because this is the point. This is the point of all of it. Whether you like your role, whether you're sitting there recoiling or not, this is where we understand what this is about. The marriage substance. This is the point. Paul has been hinting at this marriage parallel during his entire discourse. But in verse 32, he plainly and clearly states that the marriage shadow on earth, marriage on earth, and the instruction we have received is about something much more profound than the earthly marriage covenant. It's about the marriage substance. He says this mystery is profound, and I'm telling you, it refers to Christ and the church. It's deeper than earthly marriage. This is deep. It's not just how to do earthly marriage, but what earthly marriage means. Earthly marriages were designed to be temporal. Did you know that? They are here for a season, like the earth, and then they will pass away. As they were always meant to. See, Hollywood is wrong. Marriage on earth was meant for earth, not forever and ever, because there is a greater marriage to look forward to. In heaven, we no longer need the marriage shadow because we will have the marriage reality. We will be espoused to our Lord Jesus forever. That is the true marriage. That is what we are looking forward to. We have an eternal covenant with our Jesus that we are looking forward to, and we will be espoused to him forever. So earthly marriages are meant for earth to help us prepare for our true marriage with Jesus. I hope you understand that. That's what earthly marriage was about. That's why it was invented. That's why it was created, to represent something greater, to prepare you for something greater. So once earthly marriages do their job, we no longer need them. We don't need them in heaven. We have something greater. Marriage on earth is good. I'll say it's even very good. But our eternal union and covenant with Jesus is the best and most profound relationship anyone could ever experience. Do you understand the mystery? It's not just about earthly marriage. Even if you're not married, even if you never become married, there is a marriage you will experience one day in heaven. And that is the real marriage. That is the true marriage. We must look forward to this eternal union we will have with Jesus as well as be part of the preparation of that glorious wedding ceremony because it's coming. And I want to say this to you today, whether married or not, it matters very little. Because although earthly marriage is good, we can be a part of the sanctifying and beautifying process of our soul by submitting to Jesus and God's will for our lives right now because that wedding ceremony is coming. There's a greater marriage to focus on. Even your earthly marriage, the point isn't your earthly marriage. The point is the kingdom of God. We should use earthly marriage for the kingdom of God because that's the point. That's the entire reason it was created. If we submit to Jesus, whether in marriage or by being single, we are preparing for our future eternal marriage and union with Jesus. And that marriage is going to last forever, and I'm thankful for that. Forever. Every single Christian will be married to Jesus in heaven for all eternity. So this preparation to meet Jesus is crucial for every single person sitting here today, whether married or not. You are now in the preparation process to meet your bridegroom, Jesus, one day. 
are you preparing yourself? See, to not prepare to meet Jesus is to not love Jesus. And to not love Jesus is to not be with Jesus. To not prepare to meet Jesus is to not love Jesus. To not love Jesus is to not be with Jesus. Are you preparing yourself to meet Jesus today? As a way of reminding us, verse 33, Paul states this, However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Why? Because the husband and wife are so deserving of this love and respect? No. Because Jesus is. You submit to your husband, wife, because Jesus is worthy of it. Husbands, you love your wife because Jesus is worthy of that. That's why. And the picture of pure covenantal love between Christ and his church should not be perverted in the eyes of the world or in our eyes by staining the earthly marriage by sin and selfishness. Because when we pervert the shadow, we pervert the substance. And God doesn't want that. That's why he wants marriage done according to his plan, because of what it represents. It's so pure. It's so glorious. We have a few applications that we're really going to race through. So just fill in your sheet there if you have the time. Application number one is marriage was instituted by God, and therefore he makes the rules for marriage. God makes the rules. Marriage is between a man and a woman in a committed, covenantal love and union. Don't change the rules or the roles of marriage. They are very, very important. Marriage, earthly marriage, is a shadow and a reflection of our eternal covenantal love with union, in union with Jesus Christ. Therefore, let us hold marriage up high to such a high standard so that we can see how special and unique our eternal covenant and union with the Lord Jesus is going to be. Again, that's why. That's the point. Number two, wives are to submit to their husbands in everything as to the Lord, and husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Keep the bar high in marriage. So we can prepare ourselves to be holy and blemish-free when we finally meet Jesus. Don't you want that said of you? That you're a worthy bride for Jesus? Obedience to Jesus on the earth beautifies us for heaven. To be ready for Jesus at the eternal wedding ceremony. So whether inside of marriage or outside of marriage, prepare yourself to meet Jesus. Number three, regardless of how we have viewed marriage up to this point, or if we have already made a train wreck of our marriage and our lives, because it's possible, or even if God has it that we remain single, which is also possible, let us honor marriage. Let us honor marriage. Let us prepare ourselves for the true marriage, and let us honor and submit to Jesus in all things, because he's the head of the church and we are a part of his body. Our final things that we'll say today are this, is that Jesus died for his church. Think about that. The ultimate act of love was Jesus dying for his bride. How much does he love his church? I can't calculate it because he died for his church. And therefore, Jesus is worthy to have a bride who loves and adores him and will do whatever necessary for him to have what he deserves for all eternity. What does Jesus deserve in eternity? What kind of bride does Jesus deserve in eternity? Holy faithful, loving him, let's give that to him. Let's give that to Jesus because he's worthy of it. I love this phrase that I used before. It says, may the lamb that was slain receive the full reward for his suffering. 
His reward, Jesus' reward, is a bride who adores him and prepares him, prepares herself to meet him forever. Are you preparing yourself to meet Jesus one day by submitting to his will while upon the earth? See, the exhortation Paul has told us in Ephesians was this. So far, imitate God. Walk in love. Walk in the light. And now, prepare to meet your bridegroom, Jesus, forever. When we love Jesus, we love ourselves. We are a part of Jesus, and he is a part of us. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this parallel. Thank you for this mystery being revealed. I know it's big. I know it's hard. I know it's deep. I know it's long. But it's needful for every single one of us to understand what marriage was always meant to represent. Father, we are called to something great and high and lofty, and one day it will be glorious. It will be something we have desired to accomplish in our lives here upon the earth. But I pray for your help, as you will help us. For every single person who wants to do their role and embrace their role, you will help us and ask for that help. And Father, even if up to this point we haven't done it your way, we haven't done it according to your rules, I pray that you'd help us go forward, whatever that looks like, to do it in a way that pleases you, because one day your church will be brought together with Jesus forever. And he is deserving of a bride who has made herself ready for that day. Thank you for what you've taught us today. Glorify yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.